In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here we are, right on the edge of incarnation, having not quite made it to evening on Christmas Eve. And meanwhile, squeezed into this briefest morning of the fourth Sunday of Advent. Annunciation, Magnificat, and a baptism to boot. Heaven and earth in little space, as the hymn says of the baby still to be born. I want to spend some time with this mystery of the Annunciation, the angel appearing to Mary, announcing that she will be the mother of our Lord, in a very real way through him, the mother of all living. We're very blessed in this church to have, right up front, above the high altar, this marvelous rendering of the Annunciation in Tiffany glass, littered with lilies, the angel arriving on the tidal wave of overshadowing cloud. Much like the Holy Spirit moving over the deep at creation and the Spirit's breathtaking appearance at Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. The message Mary hears is this, the Lord is with you. You will bear a beloved child. Do not be afraid. God's favor and unbreakable mercy and promise are strung out between these two scenes, Annunciation and Baptism. Mary's prophetic Magnificat song proclaims the coming of the long-awaited one who will set the world right, who lifts up the lowly and the poor, and scatters the haughty oppressors. Important to hear ourselves in both groups, I think, those desperately in need of divine rescue and those who have trusted in their own righteousness at the expense of others and at the expense of a real abiding faith in the God of our lives, the God who loves us and wants to love us into loving others too. There are no events but thoughts and the heart's hard turning, the heart's slow learning how to love and whom, as Annie Dillard writes. The drama of our lives is, in fact, the gentle, easy, hardly know it's happening coaxing of divine invitation. Angel just out of the line of sight. Invitation to trusting God and loving our neighbor. This is God's work to do. All our Advent readings have been reiterating this the last few weeks. Regard God's patience with you as your very salvation. The one who is faithful will do this, will keep you in body, spirit, and soul. The tale of the house of David we hear in 2 Samuel today reminds us just how hard this is for us, just how hard it is to let God be the doer, let God be the giver, the generous one in whom we place our trust. David is resting in his new cedar-paneled palace and takes it upon himself to build as equally fine a dwelling place for the Lord, who has been sleeping rough in tents and tabernacles all through the wilderness time. But the Lord replies with not a little sarcasm, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I like my tent fine. I've been on the move with you wherever you went. Moreover, I am going to make you a house. David's attempt to put himself in the place of the generous giver doing good work serving God is exposed as a withdrawal into a faithless self-reliance. 
uh, Carmelite sister Ruth Burroughs, recently of blessed memory, writes in a book that it also features a medieval fresco of the Annunciation on its cover that to maintain a simple, trusting exposure to divine love inevitably means resisting that temptation to make a success of our spiritual life, make a success of prayer, keeping our deepest heart exposed, refusing to usurp God's place by making ourselves the agent and the giver. Now she's talking about prayer. She goes on to say that staying humble, poor, open-handed, and receptive before God may mean we often have no sense of having prayed well or perhaps having prayed at all. Uh, I think that's meant as a word of encouragement. Um, Mary's Magnificat, though, shows us one example of keeping our deepest heart exposed, refusing to usurp God's place by making ourselves the agent or the giver. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. He has looked with favor on his lowly servant. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. There's not a trace of self-aggrandizement in this, nor a trace of self-annihilation. Mary simply sings without apology the marvel of what God has done, is doing, and will do. Her prophetic vision sees the promise on the edge, about to be fulfilled, rippling across time to generations past and generations yet to come. God's promise is a promise of mercy, a promise of abundant love which cannot be taken away and never runs out. The bond forged in baptism is indissoluble, reads the Book of Common Prayer in a short little rubric before the liturgy that punches above its weight class. You're sealed as Christ's own forever and promised to mercy. So if we are to stay and abide in humility and trust, letting God be the giver and the doer, letting God be the one who builds the house. That will mean giving up our fond DIY project of self-salvation, into which we backslide again and again. Oof. Repenting of our constant temptation to retake control, to redundantly earn our way into a grace already freely given. Take some tolerance of uncertainty, uh, to learn this it takes trust in God even when we do not know what we are looking for or how it will come. How can this be? Mary asks. Waiting with patience for an unseen hope through the travail of a new creation, still groaning and longing and waiting to be born. If you look up at the window again, you can see Gabriel has brought the fog machine with him. The clouds roll in on this garden scene. Mary, full of grace, dwells in the uncertainty of the promise being made to her. How can this be? In perplexity. Yet held in trusting, patient, other-centered waiting. The obedience of faith, the letter to the Romans talks about. Mary sits with that question and also with the angel's word that nothing will be impossible with God. Then let your word to me be fulfilled, she assents, displaying the trusting, patient equanimity that Keats called negative capability, 
she described as a capacity for being in uncertainties, mysteries, and doubts without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. Negative capability, this capacity to let the clouds roll in, to allow the overshadowing spirit to do its work in darkness beyond our understanding as the Lord builds the house and the spirit prays in us with sighs too deep for words. Let it be with me according to your word. Jesus, I trust you. Our trust in God, in God's promise of mercy, is guaranteed by Jesus. Our trust is guaranteed by God's very self given to us in the baby wandered at by cattle and oxen, so vulnerably exposed to the pain and darkness of this world. Our trust is guaranteed in the rabbi who is content without a house to call his own, wandering to teach and heal and restore, and guaranteed especially in the feeding and washing steadfast Jesus who goes to the cross for our salvation and comes back forgiving his enemies and breathing peace. So, Leroy, as you come up to this baptismal font in a minute here, I want you to remember that God is going to build you a house. God is making a home for you. Those same words Jesus hears at his baptism, you are my beloved son, are now spoken over you. You are my child, the beloved. The water that washes over you is the tiniest drop out of the whole ocean of mercy and goodness God has to give you and is giving you and will give you throughout your whole life. You're being folded into a promise that stretches across all generations. Everyone who ever came before you and everyone who will come after. All of us held in God's favor, God's grace freely given without price. And so your part is just to say, here I am, like Mary answers the angel. Do you desire to be baptized? I do. Here I am. So here we are on the edge. The time is very near. Come, Lord Jesus, and make your home in our hearts. Amen.